Hey, welcome to another episode of the DC Beer Show. Thanks for tuning in. We've got a really special show today. You know, at the DC Beer Show and dcbeer.com, we don't really give as much attention as, as we should to home brewers. Home brewers are obviously a massive, massive component of the craft beer scene and craft beer lovers. And gosh, almost every brewer we've talked to, almost every brewer we've talked to on the DC Beer Show uh, over the last almost two years we've been doing the show started as a home brewer. Not all, but most started as a home brewer. So we're trying to bring in more conversations about home brewing. Today, we've got the first of these. We're talking to Omar Al-Nadawi, who is currently the president of the DC Home Brewers Club. We're excited to have him on. He and uh, the amazing Mike Stein have a great conversation about home brewing, about the DC Homebrew Club, and we're really excited and hope you really enjoy this conversation. So I'm just going to turn it over to Mike and we'll get going. Welcome to the DC Beer Show. My name is Michael Stein and I'll be taking over the show today. Richard has so graciously given me the reins and I promise not to mess it up for him. So today we have a fantastic home brewer. Omar Al-Nadawi is the president of the DC Home Brewers Club. He's been brewing beers since 2011 and some of his home brews have been award winning. With over a dozen awards and accolades for his English porters, English dark milds, and export stout, he has taken medals and ribbons from competitions in New York City, Philadelphia, Virginia, Maryland, and of course here in Washington, D.C., and most recently in Kansas City. I've known Omar for a few years, and he is the only brewer I know who was born in Baghdad. In full disclosure, I am co-chair of the Education Committee for the D.C. Homebrewers Club, but I receive no monies from Omar, though I have received his delicious beer. Omar Al-Nadawi, welcome to the DC Beer Show. Thank you for having me, Mike. Thanks for joining us. So tell us a little bit about your background and how you first got into home brewing. Well, uh, as you said, I, uh, I was born in Baghdad, Iraq, um, grew up and uh, grew up there, went to college and everything. And uh, around 2007, I decided to move to the States for, uh, for grad school. Uh, and uh, when I did, I was exposed to a whole new world of beer. Uh, back in Iraq, it's really hot. There's not a lot of uh, brewing culture to, to speak of, uh, which is a shame despite because the place uh, is the birthplace of beer or at least of recorded recipes of beer. The oldest re- recipe uh, that we have in writing comes from uh, the ancient city of Ur in, in southern Iraq. So uh, it's a shame that during the country's recent history, most of the beer culture there is focused on uh, international light lagers. Mm-hmm. That's what everyone drinks. Speaking of light lager, mm-hmm. I'm going to pour you some right now. <laughs> so go on. Tell me a little bit more about um, how you got in. You, you were exposed to a new world of beer. How yeah. did you go from experiencing a new world of beer to thinking, hey, you know, I could probably cook this in my kitchen and let it bubble away and, and have beer a little while later. Well, it was by accident, by happy accident, <laughs> uh, to say the least. Um, I think it was 2010 or 2011, and uh, I had just moved to a new uh, group house, spacious, nice kitchen. And a friend uh, said, well, with a kitchen like this, you could probably uh, brew beer. You have enough space and enough room for, uh, for all the supplies and, and gear. I was, wait a minute. You can make beer at home. 
And uh, that was the first time I had heard of the idea of homebrewing, that it's possible to do it at home. That you could do it That you could kitchen. do it at home. Uh, yeah. Uh, I thought that it required sophisticated machinery mm-hmm. uh, and, an, you know, industrial level of, uh, of expertise and uh, mm-hmm. ingredients and, you know, yeah. mechanisms to get it done. Uh, so the idea stuck in the back of my head mm-hmm. for a few months, and uh, one afternoon, uh, following the a rabbit hole into Amazon, and I found myself uh, facing a Mr. Birkit. And a few he- moments of hesitation later, I found myself clicking on that, made a few beers. Uh, were drinkable, mm-hmm. some were disasters, the first few. Uh, but uh, I didn't give up. Uh, I decided to uh, try to expand my knowledge beyond the uh, the one pager of instructions that came with the kit. So I started looking at YouTube videos, instructionals, uh, forums, websites, and that's I think when I stumbled uh, into DC Homebrewers, uh, and I yes. found the wealth of knowledge that homebrew clubs can offer. Yes. So started with Mr. Beer Kit, a small uh, plastic barrel, not quite a barrel, but but describing this to somebody who's never seen a Mr. Beer Kit, you get one page of in- instructions, you get yes. your ingredients, they come in the mail, they're delivered, yeah. um, and you're doing this in your kitchen. Mm-hmm. Okay. And some, some trials and errors, some uh, very off bad flavors, or did you have a success right away? So the instructions, again, were vague uh, and did not explain to you the essence of the process. It just tells you, for example, to uh, make sure that the the wort, that's the unfermented beer, is not hot to the touch before you pitch in the yeast. Uh, and in one case for me, that meant pitching yeast at 100 degrees. <laughs> and the result was closer uh, in flavor and aroma to rocket fuel than to <laughs> to a south that I was looking to, to brew. So your your first beer tasted something like uh, uh, NASA would use to to, to refuel something JPL would be proud of. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, um, you brought up the DC Homebrewers Club. What in God's green earth is the DC Homebrewers Club? The DC Homebrewers Club is a group of. Uh, Beer enthusiasts and homebrewers uh, from the DMV area, mostly D.C., but also Maryland, Virginia. And they are united by one thing, the love of beer and of making a good beer. Well, three things, because I would add sharing that good beer with uh, with fellow homebrewers. It's a a community that meets at least once a month uh, to share each other's brews and exchange knowledge, exchange ideas and uh, and expertise, uh, but also just to have fun and uh, and have a good time. The, the the community has more than 1,200 people, I think, on its listserv. Wow. Uh, although the numbers of people who uh, regularly show up to events, of course, varies because it's DC and people tend to, you know, uh, move on after a couple of years. Yeah. So yeah. because it's DC, I'm wondering uh, how how high does your level of security clearance have to be? In order to join them, <laughs> or how how high how exorbitant are your dues? How many of your members have 
private jets. Surprisingly, surprisingly, not high at all. <laughs> Anyone can join DC Homebrewers. Uh, you don't even have to be a homebrewer uh, right now. It's enough to be interested in the hobby or in the um, in the making and consumption of, of good beer. Uh, there are no dues and really no obligations. Just show up and you meet people and, and be happy. So you're, you're telling me that the, the cost of entry to the club is free 99. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Tax included. So, <laughs> so including that, um, you said that the club meets once a month and it's uh, a fairly casual affair, people sharing their beer, enjoying their beer. Um, how old is the club and what uh, a little bit, can you tell us a little bit about the history of the club? So I'm not a founding member. As far as I uh, recall from my colleagues who, uh, or other members who uh, were there before me, the club started in 2008. So it's just 11 years old yep. now. I think you're right, Omar. The club is 11 years old. And seeing as it was founded in 2008, the brewing scene has changed quite a bit. Um, you know, there was no production breweries. Uh, Three Stars DC Brow didn't exist. No Blue Jacket. So I remember I, the first meeting I attended, I think, was in uh, 2010, so about nine years ago. And I remember that by the end of the meeting, all of the beer was warmer than the room temperature of the room we were in. There was no ice and, and, the, and the buckets were not uh, well attended. The beer was not cared for. But I'm curious in your experience homebrewing, how you've seen homebrewing change. I mean, do you still brew in your kitchen? Do you have a lot of equipment and fancy gadgets? Walk me through a little bit the evolution of your brewing process. If you love the hobby, you will acquire more stuff. Now, I, I like to say that Sometimes I tell people, you can brew beer in a shoe, but <laughs> if, you, uh, if you make a good batch, you'll find yourself going for more stuff, more gear that, uh, allows, that allows you to actually make really good beer. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to have to spend a thousand thousands of dollars on, on, on fancy uh, and shiny toys. Uh, a lot of homebrewers are DIY-oriented, and a lot of them like to make their stuff with their own hands. I think for a lot of people, me included, the your setup grows with your hobby. Uh, you get excited about a new style. Say, for example, you decide that you want to brew a certain type of lager, and uh, that puts you uh, in a position where temperature control becomes a, an, you know, a, uh, a, a new objective. Uh, you want to graduate from making uh, extract kits, that's basically using the pre-made uh, malt extract uh, to using old grain, um, to using grain from, from, from scratch. So you acquire a, uh, a mill and you acquire a, uh, uh, a vessel that you convert into a, uh, a mash tun, a vessel for basically extracting the sugars from, from the mash tun. So mm -hmm. uh, for a lot of brewers, it's a natural process that goes over time in which the hobby drives the equipment expansion and the equipment expansion uh, lets the, the hobby flourish. Mm -hmm. So when you're brewing at home, are you using um, barley? Is it an all-grain batch? Do you have a cooler for it or are you using extract and, and walk us through a little bit of your process at home in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. How many gallons are you making at a time? So uh, typically I make five-gallon batches. Uh, I do it stovetop. So I have a, a direct-fired mash tun. That's a 12-gallon uh, aluminum pot that I converted with a uh, false bottom 
to separate the uh, the grain from the uh, from the liquid, and I use a pump to circulate that, and uh, that allows me to maintain good temperature and prevent scorching while while heating direct the the mash tun directly. Uh, when I'm collecting the uh, the the mash the wort, uh, I move that to a, another kettle, a ten gallon, and um, put that on the stove and get get it to a boil. Um, so from two there, pots, one twelve gallon, two pots, one ten two, gallon. Yeah, a two vessel system, uh, full full volume, no sparge, uh, as we call it. Uh, and from there, it goes to the uh, of course after you finish your boil, you add your hops. And the uh, next process is, is, of course, chilling that wort down to room temperature so that you don't kill the yeast when you, when you add them to, uh, to do their job. So you're not adding them at 100 degrees yes, Fahrenheit. Right? Yes. <laughs> you want to add them at 60 degrees or somewhere between 60 and 70 degrees so that you um, make sure that the flavors are where you want them to be yeah. and not something nasty. All right, so we're about to open one of your beers here, Omar, um, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But you are president of DC Homebrewers. Are there other homebrew clubs in the area? Let's say I'm in the exurbs in suburban Maryland or suburban Virginia. Are there other places I can go to, you know, learn more about homebrewing or join a club? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there are uh, homebrew clubs in uh, Virginia, Maryland. Uh, and, you know, West Virginia as well. We have, uh, I think, of the uh, main clubs, uh, Grist, Burp, Badass. Uh, one thing you love about homebrew clubs is that they all have really uh, not lovely names. <laughs> Ridiculous names, yeah. yes. Uh, but um, there's plenty of them, and we often actually try to have uh, joint meetings, uh, especially I think we um, we're trying to make a tradition of having a, a joint meeting for all the area clubs in uh, February okay uh, that's what we call the Jamboree the Jamboree yeah, the appropriately the aptly named Jamboree <laughs> and uh, that's when every local club tries to showcase their you know their best achievements and, and best experiments so yeah if uh, if you don't live in DC uh, if you live in the surrounding areas there are plenty of options for you uh, just Look it up if you look up a lo- local homebrew uh, clubs in in on Facebook or on the web on, on the web, and you, I'm sure you'll find something. Yeah, um, to our listeners, you can check out the American Homebrew Association. Uh, that's the wing of the Brewers Association, and they'll list homebrew clubs near you. So, Omar, we're drinking your Dark Mild. It's a beautiful uh, chestnut mahogany color, um, pretty clear, good clarity. There's a great cap on top of it. It's um, it's not quite khaki. It's not quite a white foam on top, but tell us a little bit about this this beer we have here. Uh, so, this I think I I had a uh, an interest in in British brown ales uh, from exposure. I don't remember exactly. Maybe it was Newcastle, mm-hmm. but I wanted to do something similar to that. And I think I was entering into and took small competition. Uh, maybe five or six years ago, the first iteration of that beer of this beer. And uh, someone exclaimed, this is a mild. And at that time, that didn't mean much to me. Right. Uh, and, and I was trying to argue, no, this is actually a Southern English brown. I'm like, no, 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 this is a dark mild. Hey, guys, you know, this is a dark mild. I'm like, okay, this is something that obviously that people have uh, seemed en- en- enthusiastic about. So I started researching the, uh, the style. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
I kind of like fell in love with the story of the style, how it evolved over time and how it's kind of forgotten, but it's also a beautiful style. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's very drinkable. It's very low on alcohol and very low on calories, but at the same time packs a ton of flavor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also kind of have a thing for styles that have a lot of history and yes. that are dying and need someone to revive them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now actually in the last few years, you're, you're starting to see more of those coming back uh, from from various breweries, uh, still on small scale. But uh, I fell in love with the style and I started brewing it over and over again. Uh, I think in the last five or six years, uh, maybe every third beer I've brewed has been wow. an, a new iteration of, of this recipe. And I kept refining it, studying, uh, or like researching ingredients, various ingredients and processes and trying different yeast strains. So mm-hmm. every new iteration, changing one or two things until uh, until I noticed that, you know, one batch started getting good scores in, in uh in local competitions, that's when I started to just fine-tuning it until we, we reached this one. It's remarkable, I have to say. It is um, not too thick, not too thin. It's really a Goldilocks beer. <laughs> it's not too roasty with dark malt. It's not um, too yeasty, but there's a bit of a fruity yeast character that comes through. It's just a wonderful beer. Um, and you. you mentioned it's a, it's a low ABV, so tell us a little bit about the ABV and, and entering it in competitions. I'm curious how... Um, how it fared. So this beer, I think, is 3.8%. Wow. In, in, in so much whole, flavor. Uh, yeah, it's, that's, that's the beauty of the style. Uh, you, um, you, don't, you don't start with a lot of sugars, and you also don't ferment all of those. So you're left with a, with a beer that has a little bit of a residual uh, sweetness and residual, uh, uh, let's say, body. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and it has a little bit of a creamy feel, but mm-hmm. uh, without, you know, all the alcohol. The downside, of course, of that is that uh, the shelf life of, of a beer like this it tends to be short. So mm-hmm. you're not going to f- see a fresh example coming all the way across the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't make it yourself or find it in a, an, at a local brewery, you're probably not going to find a good example of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, uh, after seeing that this beer was making – uh, you know, getting good feedback at, at competition, I started like, I started to focus on it, mm-hmm. uh, and it became kind of a secret weapon. <laughs> uh, it's a an underappreciated, I think, category. British brown beers. Uh, so um, uh, it's been a uh, uh, I've deployed it at multiple <laughs> local competitions, and more recently at the. Um, the national homebrew competition uh, as well. And it, uh, uh, it I think, won second place in its category in the primaries, which were held in New York City in uh, March. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a, uh, I've rebrewed it to send it to the finals, which are happening on uh, in late June at Homebrew Con in Providence. Mm-hmm. Well, Omar, that was a fantastic mild, and I wish you the best success in the national homebrewers competition. I hope you win. Um, you brought another beer here for us that just took uh, an award in Kansas City. Um, it looks, holding up to the light, looks like a dark beer. If we can op- sample this beer and try it, um, what what style of beer is this? Uh, so the style for this one actually followed the brewing of it. 
it, it's a it's a it was a an arrow looking for a, a target for it looking for an arrow so to <laughs> okay. speak. Uh, the nose is fantastic. Uh, as I was making the beer, I added more ingredients. Okay. Past the original uh, recipe I, ha- I had on book, and or like not really original, but basically past the thoughts that I had on on paper. Yeah. So and, it's, a, uh, it's a beautiful color, and the cap isn't quite black, so it it doesn't have it must not have much black malt. But is there a, a, a sugar or another raw ingredient? It smells. Uh, it's got some good earthy character. What is? What am I smelling? So, uh, halfway through brewing this this beer, I decided to throw in some molasses, some blackstrap mm. molasses. Oh wow! Uh, so it basically transformed the beer from a a dry Irish stout, uh, Guinness being a great example of that, uh, into something about fifty percent higher in alcohol and quite more mm. uh, su- substantial and yeah. uh, with a, a different edge of, of, of roast, so yeah. to speak. So, um, so molasses beer uh, in D.C. goes back for centuries. I mean, the Virginians were favorite, you know, goes, going back to colonial and even pre-colonial Virginia, uh, molasses beer was sometimes brewed without barley or even without hops. Mm-hmm. Two ingredients, molasses and water and yeast. Third in- including, I think, a famous beer by uh, George, our first president. George, by our first president. <laughs> That's right. George Washington's uh, some recipe for small beer in, in the early 1700s contained molasses. Well, this is fantastic. And so it went from an Irish dry stout Guinness or Victory's Donnybrook stout or any, mm-hmm. anything like that is under 5, sometimes under 4%. Ex- exactly. And was, so what are we... So it's just a, a fun way to play with ingredients, common ingredients you have at the kitchen, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, really take your you know batch of beer and, and do something different with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I've done one experiment in which we had um, five gallons of the same beer that was split and brewed with five different sugar additions, different sugars. Uh, mm-hmm. One was with molasses, another was with... Uh, Coconut sugar. Another was with uh, jaggery, I think jaggery. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Another was with uh, piloncillo, mm-hmm, I think. Mm-hmm, and yep. uh, each one of those came out, you know, with, with its own interesting flavor tones. Yeah. So you're playing around with a lot of variables with those with those various beers. Well, this is fantastic. How can folks find your beer? Obviously, you're a home brewer. You uh, don't own a federal brewer's permit. You don't brew it to sell it and make money. You brew it for the joy of it. How do our listeners find your beer? The best way to find my beer and to find the other fantastic beers of the D.C. homebrewers that D.C. homebrewers people brew is to come to our next event. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we will be meeting uh, in uh, late July. Uh, Our theme will be sour beers this time, actually. Uh, The date and location are still to be uh, decided. Mm-hmm. But if you find us on, on uh, Facebook or um, on on the internet, mm-hmm. on the web, you will find, uh, eventually, you'll, you, you can sign up for, to get our updates and you will get information about our next meeting. Fantastic. And you're welcome to join us. So how do folks find you? What websites should we visit? Look us up on Facebook, DC Homebrewers, uh, or go on the, uh, on the web and look up uh, dchomebrewers.com. Excellent. Thank you so much, Omar. Thank you, Mike. That was fantastic. Thanks so much to Omar Al-Nadawi for coming in to do that. Thanks to Mike Stein for running that interview. Remember, you can get 
all of the information you need about everything happening in the craft beer scene at dcbeer.com. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at DCBeer. And we'll be back next week. Thanks very much.